You're listening to the Irish Spark Podcast. To celebrate the one-year anniversary of the show, we speak with the Cuban ambassador to Ireland, Mr. Hugo René Ramos Milanes. Hugo tells us what life is like in 21st century Cuba and gives us an insight into Cuba's new democratically decided constitution. We hope you enjoyed the episode and thank you for being with us for our first year as a podcast. We hope to continue to bring you even more insightful conversations, interviews and readings going into our second year. Okay, welcome Hugo. Nice to have you here. I'd like to start off by asking what life is like in Cuba today? Well, in Cuba today we are living a very special moment in my opinion because we are living what has been called or identified like a transition period we don't want to call in that way we usually call that is a continuation process that includes many aspects of the life of the population the most important one is the transit of the revolution from the generation who was leading, the current president, Miguel Díaz-Canel, was born after the triumph of the revolution and he completed in April his first years in power. And with him, there are many, many young people in the government and in the state structures trying to continue to mobilizing efforts of the Cuban society and to continue the work of the revolution with a lot of things to do, with very important tasks. That something that is very important to underline that it was an organized process, the transition of power to the new generation that was led by the generation that was leading the revolution that at that time, because there were many speculations when Fidel came near, the also many speculations when Fidel died, nothing happened. When, of course, we, we suffered the death of Fidel, and people, of course, feel the moment in which, when he became ill, that he was forced to leave the government. But anyway, Raúl was able, his brother was able to make the continuation like Díaz-Canela and others, members of government, are doing in this moment. I was mentioning that there is a very important effort that has to be done regarding the economy. We are in a process of reorganization of the national economy. That means the reorganization of the government structures but also the organization of the economic life enterprises, the different forms of property that has been established by the new constitution and even before the establishment of the new constitution, priorities of reorganization of the agricultural productions and many other sectors. At the same time, we are facing an increase of aggression of the U.S. government with the economic blockade and other sanctions. But all of this will not make us to surrender, will not 
separate the government or the people from the main task, or the main objective, that is the continuation of, of the revolution and to build a strong and prosperous economy for the population. You mentioned the new constitution. Can you talk a little bit about it, please? Thank you. Exactly. We, the, the previous constitution was adopted in the 70s. And of course, the world has changed a lot from that moment to nowadays. And Cuba has also changed from that moment to nowadays. In this last year, particularly many new reforms, particularly economic reforms, but not only economic, has been introduced in the country. So there was a necessity to update the constitution that was approved last April in a referendum. And previous to the referendum, there was a very wide process of a popular discussion of the draft of the resolution. There were more than 130,000 popular assemblies in which people had the opportunity to discuss the text of the new constitution and there were more than 1,007,000 new propositions. So practically the test that was put to popular consideration was changed. The National Assembly, after the first the commission that was in charge of, of the preparation of the new constitution and then the National Assembly were forced to rewrite the test of the constitution that was approved very recently in the referendum. This constitution, the most important new aspects is that the first one is the reaffirmation of the will of the Cuban people to build a socialist society. So in this, there is only a confirmation of the aspiration that was recognized in the previous constitution. But there are many other changes many other necessary updates, for example, regarding the property, that this new constitution recognized the straight property of the most important one, but at the same time recognized the private property, the cooperative property, and of course the necessity of foreign investment to develop the country, and in that way different ways of organizing the economy, the enterprises in association with foreign investors. There are many new changes regarding the rights of the population. You know, there, there were in, in the process of discussion or preview to this process of discussion, there were many persons, even in Cuba, that at that time thought that the process will be a very easy one, a very fast one, because the people has confidence in the Commission and in the National Assembly that were responsible for the new project of Constitution. But anyway, people show maturity, enormous maturity, and went in deep to the test of the Constitution and particularly to the rights of people in how to confirm all these rights that are the most important 
conquest of, of the revolution in education, in health, in social security, in gender participation, in, in many other aspects of social life. And people rewrite, people underline the way that they wish to be express these rights because it is the future that we are going to give to our sons. So, for example, just to put a, a very simple example regarding education, in the new test was recognized the right of population for free education from the elementary school to high level, to high education, so to complete the university studies. And there were people who, who asked, and what about post-education? What is going to happen with my son? He will have to pay to be a doctor. He will have to pay to have post any kind of post-education degree, like a master or something similar. Of course, and we were forced to rewrite this and to recognize even the responsibility of the state to grant free postgraduate education. And this happened in many other areas. So the constitution was really enriched by the popular debate and was approved in a referendum, as I mentioned, by 80.8% of, of the population, a very high participation of, of the population, more than 84% of the population that has electoral rights regarding the age to vote, went to pools and vote and um, the great majority support the new constitution, which is the fundamental law of the country. And now we are starting a process in which many other national law has to be adapted to the new reality of the country. So can you talk about the growth of the cooperatives? You mentioned it as part of the constitution. Yes. Cooperative has always existed in Cuba. But most of them were concentrated in agricultural sector. And now that we recognize the possibility of private property, we realize that cooperative is a higher way of organization that is better than, than private property and has at the same time is more dynamic, has more autonomy that a straight enterprise that, that most of them are very big. It's the possibility to better take benefit of the natural resources and the material resources and the human resources. So the possibility to establish a cooperative is open to practically um, any sector of the economy. There are many in the construction sector, there are many in gastronomy, in restaurants and hotels, and there are many in services, different kind of services, and so on. It's even give to those who organize themselves to create a cooperative, give better possibility to access to, to credit from financial institutions, from banks, to better access to the possibility to rent a building, to 
to establish the business or to rent productions, machines, and so on. For example, there are many also in the small industry, in transport sectors. Those who are associated in transport sector, they are facilities to rent a bus for public transportation. They have facilities to buy fuel or they have facilities to buy spare parts and so on that are not present in the same way in private sectors. At the same time, the cooperative put together the efforts of a group of persons, not only for the benefit of those participating in the cooperative, but at the same time for the society. It's a different way of distributing richness. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the structure of the government in Cuba? Yes, one of the most important news from the new constitution is the decision to organize in a different way the government. First, we need to give to the municipalities more power, more decision, capacity of decision for the solution of local necessities in the territories. There is nowadays a long distance between the municipality and the central government, because in the middle is the government of the provinces. And then the national institutions like the ministries in different sectors and the council of ministers as the main organ for executive Decisions. So now, and of course, at the same time, the National Assembly and the Provincial Assembly of Power and then the Municipality, this will go in other way in the future with more autonomy and more power and more capacity of decision and more capacity of mobilization of the local resources in the municipality that is the base of all those structures. At the same time, there is a better definition about the responsibilities of the different central institution of government that there is a process in which they are being passing the executive decision to different ways of organization that we have but mainly enterprises and the ministries will be responsible for the policies in general for the strategies and for the implementation of those policies and strategies but the, the everyday decisions will go to enterprises, to different organizations of, of the economy, of the production. The way in which the Council of Ministers already changed and will change for better in, in the recent future. First, we're going to divide, by the decision of the Constitution, we're going to divide the functions, the powers of the head of states, it was created the figure of the prime minister. The prime minister will be responsible to lead the activity of government, giving the head of states other responsibilities. So it will be easier in the current situation in Cuba, in which we need to have a very dynamic government. It will be easier to take the decisions, to coordinate the strategic and tactic decisions, and to implement at the same time to supervise what has been done. For example, one of the most important change is the participation and the link that the President Diaz-Canel 
has with local structure of government and also the way in which he has been participating with ministers. In, he has visited all the provinces in one year. He, Cuba has 15 provinces. He visited all of them in the first year. And he has started the second round of visiting the province. He has visited twice provinces, two provinces in the last days. And this is very important because it's the way that the government has to be in direct contact with the necessity of local territory and not only the presidency but at the same time the government because most of the government are participating with him and also the way in which the council of ministers is following the implementation of all the decisions that are taken in this process so it's the way it is changing is changing in a very positive way what are the biggest challenges facing the people living in Cuba today in the 21st century? Well, the most important one that we cannot underestimate is the economic blockade. The economic blockade damaged seriously the Cuban economy. The economic blockade imposed by the US government is the main obstacle for the development of Cuba is a major obstacle to, to build international relations with international trade with, with other countries. It's a major obstacle to develop international cooperation and to attract foreign investment that is a priority for Cuba. Cuba is not a rich country. We need to no less than 2,000 million per year in foreign investment. And of course, with the economic blockade, it's hard to attract that amount of foreign investment. In the last year, we have been able to attract only 1,000, no more than that. 50% of what we need, and even less than that. But there are also some major tasks that depend on our armed forces and is the reorganization of the economy, the mobilization of natural and human resources in the production. We need more efficient to organize the production with more efficient. We need, of course, to face one major problem is that the double currency that we have in Cuba, the national currency, and there is because of the economic blockade and particularly because of the period of the economic crisis when disappeared the, the Soviet Union and socialist world, we established a different currency that is equivalent to a dollar. This double currency has been functioning till, till that moment to the present, but at the same time, if it's true that at that moment we were able to manage the economy and to attract foreign currency and to use that foreign currency to cover the most important necessities, it creates deformations and other additional obstacles that has to be overcome. And this is a priority to abolish the double currency. And at the same time, we need to face the situation of salaries, income for the populations and the policy of prices. There is a lot of 
effort that has to be done in agriculture. We are in this process. Cuba is very high dependent of importation of food. We are importing 2,000 million per year in food. And it's true that we cannot produce all the food that we need in the country because there are conditions that goes far beyond the will of the people or, or the government has to be with nature. But no less than 600,000 million can be of national production. So we need to develop these productions of rice, many of fruits, many other products from agriculture. We need investment in the sector for transformation of food, for the production of food in the history, for conservation of food. So we need investment and there is a process of investment going on, but it's not enough. It's a lot of effort to be done in agriculture and food production. It's a very important effort to be done in the construction of houses for the population from the period of the most severe economic crisis in the 90s. We accumulate a very important necessity of new houses that has to be faced. There is a process of investment in the constructions of houses. There are many cooperatives working on that area, but it's not enough. It's not enough. A lot of has to be done yet. And the same happening in many other areas. The most important thing is to the will of people. The will of people, the conviction that we have to work hard to preserve what we have in this moment, but to develop the economy, to really gain prosperity for our population. What's the biggest threat from imperialism in Latin America today? The threat. The threat, yeah. Well, there is no doubt that Trump administration is implementing a very aggressive policy toward the progressive forces in Latin America against Cuba, against Venezuela, against Nicaragua, but not only against those countries. It is important to understand that this process began even during Obama administration. It was Obama who recognized Venezuela as an enemy and described Venezuela government as a security threat to America, which is not true at all. So the destabilization against Venezuela began many, many years ago. In fact, during these 20 years of the Bolivarian Revolution, I think that Chavez was not able to have one year of peace. From the very beginning, from the moment of the nationalization of oil production, which was a priority for the Bolivarian Revolution, from that moment they began to face a very strong opposition and very strong destabilization. The destabilization began also far, far, far many years ago. We have to remember the coup d'etat against Honduras, against President Zelaya. We have to remember 
the parliamentary coup d'etat against the president of Paraguay. We have to remember the way in which parliament put Dilma Rousseff out of government. We have to remember the way they sent Lula to, to prison. And we have to remember many, many other processes of destabilization. We have to remember also the process of destabilization against Evo Morales or against the president of Ecuador, the former president of Ecuador, Correa. So the progressive forces has been always facing attempt of destabilization. It's not an accident. Nicaragua was a very peaceful country. And Nicaragua does not appear in, in the newspaper. But it's not by accident that when Nicaragua began to negotiate with China the construction of a new inter-oceanic channel in the territory, the opposition went to the street with the same strategies, with the same tactics of, that they use in Venezuela, with violence, killing people, with crimes. It's, this, 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 this cannot be considered an accident. This was prepared by the oligarchy in Latin America and was prepared by the imperialist powers, particularly by the government of the United States. So there are worries in the region there is a real danger of, there is a real possibility of a military intervention that never will be a solution. It will be a catastrophe for, for the region and will affect the neighboring countries, Colombia, Brazil, Ecuador, will affect all of them because of the influence, because of the interconnection in this globalized society, globalized world, and because of the borders in those countries are very open. So the only way is the negotiation, the dialogue, without any kind of foreign interference in the internal affair of Venezuela. Are the Venezuelans, those who are living in Venezuela, the ones who has to settle the current situation through dialogue, through negotiation, but never with a military intervention. It's not by accident that military hierarchy in Brazil recommend not to support the, the military intervention. And many, many, many voices in, in Latin America are against the possibility of a military intervention. We will go back to the 70s and the 80s and period of the Cold War in which in, in any kind of situation there was a military intervention from, from the US. It's a very scary thought and uh, let's hope that a military intervention doesn't happen for any people in Latin America <laughs> or indeed across the world. Hugo, thank you very much for thank your you time. You. Thank you to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Irish Spark Podcast. If you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening from. It really helps us out and helps the show to reach more people. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at theirishspark at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. The details are in the description. We hope to see you again in a couple of weeks for our next episode.
Take care. Bye.